So the uh, title of the study is Do You Believe? 12 Historic Doctrines to Change Your Everyday Life by Paul Tripp. Where I've cut and pasted a bunch of this, almost all of it. Well, I'll say it this way. Everything you're looking at, except for my questions, are cut and pasted from Paul Tripp. So I take no credit for any of the material. He is a phenomenal author. Um, but when you hear the word doctrine, you may go, Ew, I'm not sure if this is really one I would. I'm racing the church to go listen to and be a part of this Sunday school. Um, so, but because it might have a negative connotation, let's get an understanding of what is doctrine. Let's see if we can figure out, and Mark, you may be running around trying to uh, answer uh, people's questions, but, or at least their response, not answering your questions, but capture their response on the microphone. Um, what would, can we come up with as a definition for doctrine? Wayne's in the back. Now, hold on, Wayne. We're going we're gonna to get you a mic. We're going to mic you up here. You're in the huddle on a big game. <laughs> Basic, basically, it's a teaching or a belief. Okay. Teaching or belief. Um, and that's interesting you should say that because that's a general statement. There can be doctrines outside of the church um, that are. So you have doctrines within a, a culture. You may have doctrines within a work environment. A teaching or a belief that this is how things work. So I, I captured one uh, definition that said a body of teaching or principles of belief or a position on a biblical issue. Uh, for us, it's Bible issues, all the Bible issues. So um, there are people that will say, it's interesting, you get two, two modes of people. You get the theologian type sometimes that, that all they want to talk to you about is doctrine. And because they see the value in it, um, and sometimes they can get away from the day-by-day expositional, because you go around the whole Bible looking for the understanding of, of doctrine. It's a biblical concept. And then sometimes as people in the pews, you'll ah, doctrine, you know, I don't, can we just stick to the Bible? And they don't want to study the threads of belief that work their way through the, the Bible. And we want to be uh, ones that do both. So... Today's is the introduction, uh, introductory chapter, I should say, and it's entitled The Dangerous Dichotomy. Well, we've got to understand what a dichotomy is, so Mark, wherever you want to start this thing, give the, the mic to whomever, and I've got dichotomy defined there, and they can, that person can start by reading that. A dichotomy is a contrast between two things. When there are two ideas, especially two opposed ideas, like war and peace or love and hate, you have a dichotomy. Okay. So I think that's, that's a helpful understanding of knowing what a dichotomy is. So as we look at this, we're going to see that there are, there's the dangerous dichotomy is, is the, the title that he's working off, the theme that he's going after in today's uh, lesson in studying doctrines. So with that, uh, Pete, will you read that example there? Brad led one of the small groups in his church. He was asked to do so because he was biblically literate and on the surface seemed mature. He was good at leading this small group, and they studied and discussed God's word together. He had recently been asked to participate in elder training and seemed eager to do so. The people in his small group appreciated him and his leadership. But Mindy, Brad's wife, had a different experience of Brad and those small group meetings. Every time they met, Mindy struggled with the difference between the public Brad, the well-liked small group leader, and the private Brad, 
the man she was married to. So how would you articulate the dichotomy there? How would you say, okay, the dichotomy was mm, anybody? Just kind of off the cuff, what's the dichotomy as it relates to Brad? The, the public and private face of Brad. Was that what you said? Yeah, I think that, that's pretty concise right there. Um, that's, a, that's a great job. Um, one of the thing, reasons why I pulled that example, because he gave more than one example in the book, is because this could have been Nick and Cindy leading small groups. Um, she, she had, and I say this... Um, from a position of, man, do I uh, relate to this. As I'm learning these truths, I'm going, wow, these are great truths. And when people come through the door, they get the happy Nick that wants to apply and is energetic. And when they leave, she gets the, the Nick that isn't so energetic and isn't so uh, uh, stoked up about these doctrines and doesn't apply them so well in his life. And so God bless her. Sometimes, you know, at the end of an evening, she might go, that was a great lesson. How do you see that applying in our marriage? <laughs> it was like, oh, gosh. So uh, absolutely true. So I, I know that as we work through this as a church, um, we are uh, going to walk a journey that is humbling for us. And, and so it's neat to hear that he understands and he points out to us there's, there is a dichotomy. There's a dichotomy in all of our lives. There's what we, we hope to do by way of what the Bible tells us in, in its revealed word. And then there's the application, and we hope to close that gap. All right, so let's continue on with the introduction. All right, <clears throat> introduction, and I'm going to turn this mic up. Uh, okay. So it says, I am persuaded that the gap between the doctrine we say we believe and the way we actually live is a workroom for the enemy. Hmm. What, what I am going to say next may surprise you, but I think it needs to be said and considered. The enemy of your soul will gladly give you your formal theology. If in, real, uh, in your real daily life, he can control the thoughts and, and motives of your heart and, in doing so, control the way you act, react, and respond. So that gap between those two is the, is the place where the devil can, can wreak havoc in our lives. Um, and I can tell you, you know, I started to tell you from a pastor's perspective that you saw it in my own life as far as a, a, a young, younger man wanting to lead small groups. I can tell you as a biblical counselor and a, as a counselor who has counseled pastors that this is, pastors are not immune from this, this dichotomy and, and not realizing that there is a separation from what you're preaching and what you're actually allowing in your life or or creating as a culture in your own home. So um, everybody, we're all sheep about this, and we all need to understand and, and get, understand there is a gap, understand that gap is the playground of the devil, and we need to go after that gap by way of God's Holy Spirit. So with that, let's talk about the importance of doctrine. If you are human... If you are human, you think, although some of us show it more than others, you may think improperly or inconsistently, but you think. None of us have ever had a thoughtless day. All of us have constructed a superstructure of life 
assumptions that functions as the instrument we use to make sense out of life. So all of us are theologians, all of us are philosophers, all of us are counselors, and all of us are archaeologists who dig through the past to understand what was. And here's what is vital to understand. Your thoughts always precede and determine your activity. Stop and reread the previous sentence because it is very, very important. You don't do what you do because of what you are experiencing at the moment. No, you do what you do because of the way you have thought about it, thought about and interpreted what you are experiencing. All right, let me jump in there real quick. That's talking from a, if I can use a term that's maybe not the most biblical term, but a subconscious. When I say subconscious, you don't even think about it cognitively or you knowingly process it. Either way, that statement is true. What we have experienced in the past by way of we are creatures that as we move through an experience, we make judgments about it. We make assessments. And then when we go into the future, we take those assessments with us, whether good or bad, and we make decisions based on what happened in the past. That's why it's so important that he's talking about, look, these doctrines are going to help us take our past and say, okay, you may not have realized it, but you, were, you are responding from a past that was evil done upon you, and therefore you responded in this way, and now you are this mechanism, you are this human being that is moving forth in a, in a manner that may not be biblical in your processing. And doctrines are like walking through this membrane, if you will. I'm using a little bit of science fiction here where you walk through it and it, it allows you to get it. You're all of right understanding again. You're like, oh, good. I went through. I, I have this right understanding again. Maybe glasses are a better understanding. You guys all look a little blurry as I take off the glasses. But when I put the glasses back on, they're my biblical perspective. And I go, okay, I don't want to walk around in the world in this confused state where my past determines how I assess things, I need to have the biblical glasses put on so I can assess things rightly. You trust me, we all make assessments based on our past. And hopefully, as we're maturing, we are recognizing that if you do not accept that truth, you will not allow the scripture to change you. You will think, I know what I know because I've experienced what I've experienced, and therefore that is the, 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 the means by which I will experience everything in the future. We can't stay there. We have got to allow doctrine to shape us. So let's continue on. Uh, we, we know, know oops, go ahead. Uh, we know that you can put the three people in the very same situation, experiencing the very same thing, and all three will have remarkably different reactions. Why? because they interpret the situation differently. A variation in interpretation will always lead to a difference in response. Amen. We'll just continue on. The Bible is the result of, loving creator, of a loving creator unpacking what is true for his creatures so that they will know how to properly make, out, make sense of out of life. Without his loving revelation, we wouldn't know how to know. We wouldn't know for sure what we know, and we would have no way to know if what we think we know is true or not. Is that a Rob Roy-ism or not? <laughs> I mean, you have to read that thing like five more times just to get it. That's Paul. That's Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apostle Paul. 
All right, let's keep going. In the Bible, God, the meaning giver, explains foundational truths to the meaning makers he created. Every person who has ever lived has desperately needed the unfolded mysteries found in Scripture. The Bible is not so much a religious book left to be relegated to the hallowed and separate corridors of institutional religion. No, the Bible is a life book given for life purposes so that the creatures to whom it is given would look for life in the only place where life can be found. The doctrines of the Bible are not so much ideology as they are living and divine tools of salvation, transformation, identity, and guidance. I'm going I'm to read, I'm going I'm to look at the beginning of that sentence, the doctrines of the Bible, and then at the back end of the sentence, what do they do? They're tool, divine tools of salvation, transformation, identity. We move about in this world out of our identity, how we view ourselves. Identity is critical, and guidance. So uh, doctrines are huge to us. They are not something that's just an addition to what the Bible teaches. They are the means by which the, us, we comprehend what the Bible is doing in and through us through these doctrines that, that we are learning that are taught in the Bible. So it's, it's so important, the study of doctrines. Okay, let's get, whoever's next, let's continue reading. So what role does doctrine play? First, the doctrines of Scripture provide a helpful shorthand for the grand redemptive story. Every doctrine captures something about God, his work, and our need, allowing us to summarize vast amounts of content and historical activity in one word. Second, do you want me to keep going? Yeah, please. Second, every doctrine is an explanation. We would not fully understand, for example, the implications of the fall of Adam and Eve, the calling of Abraham, the righteous life of Jesus, the cross, the empty tomb, the ascension, or the establishment of the church if it were not for the explanatory, explanatory doctrines of God's word. Through them, God helps us to understand how we have acted in our sin and how he has acted toward us and for us in his grace. We are saved not so much by the doctrine, but by the historical things God has willingly and graciously done on our behalf. The doctrines explain those things to us so that we can admit our need and reach out for God's help. Okay, that's it. Looks like I left out a period there. Um, as it relates to doctrines, how many of you have ever used your concordance, the back of your Bible, to find a word you're looking for? Anybody ever done that? Okay. Um, you can't go to your concordance and find justification, that word, that doctrine, the doctrine of man, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of God, the doctrine, I should say, of the Trinity, the doctrine of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, you can't go to the back and, and it'll be in one tight little place. It's all the way through. This, the doctrines are something that take a little more time for us as we mature to comprehend. We see it as we start to read. You go, oh, wow, that's speaking about the, the doctrine of man, that we're fallen after the fall. We, ha we are depraved. And so you start to pick up these, and you start to understand these, and you start to have file cabinets if you're an older person or just uh, folders if you're a newer person thinking in your mind as far as computer folders and whatnot that you can put this stuff in so you have a logical or a more logical understanding of what's going on in scripture. I have heard pastors preach justification when they were reading from sanctification. 
their categories were wrong. Their doctrinal understanding of what was going on was wrong. These categories are so important that we, they help shape and help us defend when it comes time in, a, in our apologetics when someone says, well, uh, gosh, there was a statement yesterday I heard at uh, Annie's. Uh, one of Annie's uh, relatives told me, it was Henry, uh, Annie's nephew, Henry, uh, told me that uh, uh, an LDS statement, basically, as God was, we once were, as he is, we will be. I think that's basically it. And well, go ahead. Uh, do you know the, the doctrine? Uh, yeah, because um, it's a man-centered gospel, so it starts as a man is. Hold on, we got to get Mark. Hold on, let's, let's do that again. Rob Roy's been done, done a lot of apologetics with Mormons in the in Mesa area. Go ahead. So truth begins with God. Jesus says, says that uh, I am the truth, I am the way, I am the life. Uh, with false religion, it starts with man. God created man in his image, and false religions create God in man's image. So the the way to remember the Mormon saying is to start with man, mm. which is what we should never do. No. So it goes, as man is, God once was. There you go. That's how it starts out. And as God is, man may become. I asked him, because he grew up Mormon, I said, so do Mormons still believe that Jesus Christ is the brother of Satan? That's what led him to say that. And he said, you have to understand how Mormons think. Because they, that's their doctrinal statement right there, which is absolutely an error with what the Bible teaches, you could see where they would see Satan as not so much a spiritual being, but rather a being that, that is, was trying to get to be like God, and therefore he could be on the same level as Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ started off as a man in that statement. And, and, and he now became a god. And it's like, oh, that explains how that doesn't sound so weird to them that Jesus Christ. So, I mean, we say Jesus Christ is the, and, and Satan are brothers, and we go, oh, don't ever think those things. It could never be. But when you hear the wrong doctrine, the wrong understanding of the Bible, you go, oh, I could see how they could, if they believe that, they could make the logical jump over there to the brotherhood of those two. One's a created, Jesus is, is creator, and Satan is created, and you can never have them on the same planes. And yet they allow that to be because of some transition, some, some trajectory. So um, you can see the importance of doctrine from making sure that we don't end up in error. Okay, um, let's read Isaiah 55, 6 through 13. Whoever was next. Um, Brooklyn, was that you that was going to read that? Thank you for allowing us to strip you of the microphone and run it back to Rob Roy. <laughs> Isaiah 55, 6-13. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that 
So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I send it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Okay, verse 13 is a metaphor, a, a, a picture of, of a summation of what he talked about in 6 through 12. Um, and, and really, 12 is a little bit of expanding on it. The, the 4 there uh, is an understanding of this is, this is what's going on based on what was read before. Um, 13, he shifts, and instead of talking more in a, a uh, clearer understanding, he talks in a metaphor. And so when you read this, instead of the thorns shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and, you, and I'll be frank with you, the first time I read that, or the second time I read that, third time I read that, I'm going, man, I need help on that. What is going on here? Well, is, is he, these things won't, be plant, won't ever come up? Is that what he's saying? And so something else is going to come up? Are you going to transplant? What you, is, this, is a, this is a horticulture or agriculture thing? I, I'm not catching on. What's the point? What's the, listen, the next person read. This is what's important that, he, that we understand about that statement. So read that next point there, that Paul Tripp, uh, paragraph where Paul Tripp explains what's going on. The plant that is being watered becomes an entirely different plant. So it is with the doctrines of the word of God, their primary purpose is not information but transformation. The informative function of the truths of scripture is not the goal of those truths but a necessary means to the goal of those truths, which is radical personal transformation. Mm. God's plan is that when the rain of biblical doctrine falls on us, it would change us, not that we would become better renditions of ourselves, but that we would become spiritually different than we were before. As the rain of truth falls, angry people become peacemakers, greedy people become givers, demanding people become servants, lustful people become pure, faithless people become believers, proud people become humble, Rebels become obedient people, and idolaters become worshipers of God. Amen. So God's word goes out to do what it's going to do, and it takes the the thorn that what that would which would be thorns and turns it into cypress. That's which were briars and turns into to myrtle. There's a complete transformation of the of the creation or the creature in our case by way of what God is doing by in and through His word working in us. You see that transformation. In fact, I love that he uses radical, the terminology of radical transformation. Um, so it's a, a wonderful picture of what God is doing with his doctrinal truths, with his word. All right, let's continue on. Biblical doctrine is meant to transform your identity, alter your, alter your relationships, and reshape your finances. It is meant to change the way you think and talk how you approach your job, how you conduct yourself in in time of leisure, how you act in your marriage, and the things you do as a parent. It is meant to change the way you think about your past, interpret the present, and view the future. Yeah. How could you not want that as a Christian? All all of a sudden, this study becomes, you're like, oh, I, I need this. This is like food to me. This is sustenance. If I'm going to change, 
I need God's word to change. How come my situation isn't changing? Well, I can't tell you why the other person in your relationship isn't changing, but it's possible that, the, that you aren't changing in the midst of your relationship because you and me are not allowing the word of God to bring about change. And if two people are both wanting to allow God's word, God's doctrinal truth to rain down on them, you will see a change in the relationship. And I'll even go so far as to say this. You will see a change in the relationship even if only one of them does because the one that takes this in allows the rain to soak into their soul. That person will be able to bear and go through the relationship with a different mindset, with a different understanding of their God. They are the picture of the dove in the storm. They are able to weather the storm because they have the peace of God in the midst of the storm. Can't guarantee the storm won't be there. In fact, God rarely makes the storm go away. He has us go through the storm. And we grow and we learn and as we get uh, drenched by the truths of God's doctrines and we take on this new identity, new perspective. Praise be to God. Okay, let's read 2 Timothy three sixteen to 17 whoever is up next. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Amen. Okay, let's read through some of these. The... Uh, We've got four aspects that that was just spoken of in that scripture. There's teaching, reproof, correction, and training. Um, I've I've heard it taught this way. I'm just going to say it before we get there. I like the way Paul Tripp says it better, but I think both can be helpful. Teaching is knowing what is right. Reproof is knowing what is not right. You get someone comes up to you and reproves you and says, that's not right. Um, That's reproof. Correction is learning how to get right. And training is learning how to stay right. So teaching is learning what is right. I'm going to say it again if anyone's taking notes. Um, Reproof is learning what is not right. If you ever wonder, what's reproof? We don't use that so much as a word. Uh, You just reproved me. No one ever, you don't normally say that. I can't believe that. Um, Correction is knowing how to get right. And training is knowing how to stay right. When we're trained up in the word. Now, let's hear how Paul Tripp takes that, those cute little ways of thinking of it, and really expounds and just makes it so beautiful. So who would like to, or who's next in reading, uh, teaching the standard? The truths of the Bible are God's ultimate standard. They establish for us who God is, who we are, what our lives were designed to be, and what is true and what is not. Why we do the things we do. How change takes place. What in the world has gone wrong? Hmm. And how in the world it will uh, ever get corrected? The doctrines of the word of God provide the standard, loving, lovingly revealed to us by our creator, by which we can know with certainty, uh, surety, surety that they, uh, what we would never know without them. Everyone looks to some kind of standard because of all want to know, and we all want to know that we are we that what we know is true. So everyone carries a Bible around with them, either one of his or her own making, 
or the perfect standard handed down by the one who is truth. So when he refers to a Bible, everyone carries a Bible with them. He's, notice this in quote, the word Bible. He's not referring to an actual, necessarily, he's not, he's not saying it's this, although um, um, Christians will oftentimes carry around a, a, an actual Bible. What is he referring to? He kind of just spoke about it as it relates to everyone is carrying a Bible. Thoughts on that? Everybody is carrying around doctrine. Okay. Their own doctrine. Okay, go ahead, Brandon. I think everyone's got their own set of Ten Commandments. Everybody has their own Ten Commandments, so their own standard of what the law is. Okay, any other? There's one more thing I'm thinking of in this. The standard of how we live. Standard of how we live. Good, excellent. I didn't consider that. That's another one. Go ahead. Say that again. Their Bible is what one thinks is true. Yes, good. And ultimately, it's their statement or their source of authority. This is what has authority over me, whether I've given it the authority over me because it's the gobbledygook that I've created in my mind, or whether or not it's the actual Bible, God's Word, that has authority over me. So it's an interesting way to put it. If you, I, I like catchy ways of uh, whether it's songwriters or it's uh, people who are good like Paul Tripp here, who, comes, who take images and draw out things that we hold on to ease, more easily. So if you were to ask somebody, I'm talking about somebody who is not a Christian. So what is your Bible? It would be an interesting question, that, uh, an interesting conversation that may, because they may say, well, what's, what do you mean by that? And then you could just ask, well, I have, a, I have a book that I believe is the revealed word of God, because it is, and that is my source of what everything I believe in comes from. All of the, that which is the world I live in, the, my worldview is shaped by this book. It's my source. What is yours? And what an interesting conversation for follow-up for those of you who have friends, whether they're people at work or people you interact with in some other uh, institutional, you know, whatever it is. I, I, I'm trying to think of something else. Just a friendship or somebody you get together, whether your kids play together or something like that at the playground on Tuesday mornings or whatever it happens to be. What a great lead-off for a conversation. So what is your Bible? Everybody has a Bible. What is your Bible? And that, that ought to get them thinking. Go ahead. A lot of times. Oh, you know what? Let me, get a, let me get the mic to you real quick. That, um, if it's a one word or a couple word, I can just regurgitate it from up here. But if you're going to expound, I want to get that on. You know, like a lot of times when I've done that, what you're asking is that they won't, they can't answer what their Bible is, okay? But they just say, I don't believe it in your Bible. Huh? So they, you know, they don't know what their Bible is. It's good. Because they're thinking about a book as well, you right? Know, but so they're not really uh, thinking about what they believe. Which is then, then as you, what you have done is you have forced them to think. If I said there's a pink elephant trying to get in the door back there, everybody has a picture of a pink elephant trying to get in the door back there. You can't get rid of it unless you move to a new thought. So they can't get rid of the thought that you just implanted in their mind. What is your Bible? And hopefully that's going to be a seed that the Holy Spirit uses to draw them out. Well, I'm, I'm my own Bible. Never considered it like that. 
Go ahead, Kaylin. I think that um, a lot of times people do have themselves as their own Bible. Say, say that a little bit louder. A lot of times people do have themselves as their own Bible, mm. and I've noticed that in conversations with friends, I like to discuss God as much as possible. And I have one friend who actually does think deeply about his own thoughts, basically. Mm -hmm. He has a good understanding of how he sees the world, which is unique because most people my age don't think about that. And so in talking about it, he has openly admitted that he doesn't believe that truth can be known. So we are the ones who interpret what is true and we are our own authorities over that because ultimately we are the sovereign ones in life, which is obviously a bit of a messed up view. But I think it's interesting that there's someone out there who actually knows and understands and is willing to admit that they are their own authority. Fascinating. Because you can take that, then you push them a little bit further and say, if you are your own authority, where is the, the consistency in this universe? Where is the consistency in anything if everybody there is their own authority? How could it be that we have anything that is of order in this world if it, the authority lies with the created beings? There can't be any order. You weren't around for the previous set of order, of, of generations. So every, it just doesn't work that way. Okay, that, but that's a great conversation. I appreciate that you have. And it's interesting, and it's neat to hear that our young people are having those conversations with other young people that they know don't know the Lord because they have, hopefully, more life to process that. And they may go their way, and, Kaylin, you may never see them, but they may remember, and that may just work on their, their ego. Man, that's a pretty egocentric idea that I have. I'm, I'm, I'm it. I'm the man. Uh, where are we at here? Go ahead. Did we going to say something or were you going to read there? Pardon me? Were you going to read? Yeah. Perfect. Go for it. Yeah. Reproof. Comparison to the standard. Reproof is the process by which, we, by which you are compared to a standard and in some way found lacking. Every truth is a measuring stick to which we compare our thoughts, our desires, words, choices, motivations, relationships, worship, and hopes. Knowledge of doctrine should produce not only knowledge of God, but a penetrating, but penetratingly humble knowledge itself. I'm going to ask a rhetorical question I do not want an answer. Uh, at least not a, oops, I said the silent thing out loud. Don't say the silent thing out loud. What was the last doctrinal doctrine that humbled you? If you can be thinking about that. Gee, what was the last doctrine that humbled me? If you can't process it, there's a possibility that this course, this time spent in this class, will help sharpen and put those doctrines up front so you're able to, to realize, ooh, yeah, I, I need humbling in this area. I've been working off this gap area rather than the truth of what should be happening in my life. Okay, let's read about correction. Correction, closing the gap between where I am and where God wants me to be. The doctrines of Scripture are meant to correct us. Correction is a process where what has been revealed to be wrong or lacking is brought closer to the standard. Progressive sanctification, which is God's redeeming work in us between our conversion and our homegoing, is a continual process of comparison correction, compar comparison correction driven by the truths of his word and empowered by the work of his spirit. All right, I'm going to say a statement that might be an ouch for some of us. It was an ouch when I started reading it, when I started learning it and being taught it in my Christian faith. If you do not have someone that can come to you and reprove you 
or correct you, your transformation is next to nothing. God uses your interaction in your relationships. It's a communal understanding of we work in community. Our God is of community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God uses the community as well as the Spirit. But see, there's an interesting thing about the Spirit. We can, only, we can just internalize it and think that we're doing just fine. If we will allow other people in our lives to reprove and, and expect or work with us in the correction, you will see transformation. If you are somebody who keeps people at arm's distance, then you are somebody that your transformation is incredibly slowed down. We need each other, and we need each other to be, we need to invite each other in. I can tell you it's not helpful if you become the reproof and correction police. That will not go well. You, you are running around with a log in your eye, whacking people all over the place if, that's your, if you think that's your role. What your role is is as people have invited you, as people have, whether it's an actual an invitation or it's a closeness of relationship with you you have with this person is to ask the person can I say something hard to you that might be hard to hear and if you have nobody that you could answer that and that as a yes man oh man we, we are we are fighting against transformation we need to have people in our lives that we have I'll, I'll say it this way that we have actually invited and said and I've had to say this to my own children as they stepped into manhood, my, my six boys, you have the right. I'm inviting you to tell me where I'm off. Earlier, when it was a, I was influencing more authority in the shaping years of your childhood, now we're moving into the I'm losing authority as you move towards, as I'm trying to shape you. My role is shaping you so that you can work uh, one and one with God and you don't have to have the authority you're going to step out of my authority as a man going off on your own so I'm trying to work with influence but in that influence I need you to tell me when I'm off in my teaching when, I, when am I standing in the gap that we talked about where what I say and what I do are not accurate and so I've had to invite my sons into that. And that was something I was taught. Don't, don't, please don't hear that as something, oh, I got it figured out. No, I had, a, I had uh, men in my life that explained that to me. I have others in my life. I've had to say that to my wife. The thing I say to my wife is just please be tender with me. It's hard to hear you know, when you need that reproof and correction. It's hard to hear it. So just be tender. And then I'll be more receptive towards it. But we need to have those understandings. Go ahead, PJ, uh, if, uh, who's ever got the mic. Just rip it out of her hands and send it back to PJ. Just kidding, Bethany. <laughs> yeah, I, um, as we've been going through this, I couldn't help but think of 2 Timothy 4, um, first five verses. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is judged to the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As you, for you, always be sober-minded, enduring, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And I, I think in relation to your comment of have having people in your life who can rebuke and reprove. I think the reality is, though, by being 
Christians and we as a congregation, by becoming members, we have explicitly given that right to everyone around us. And it is the expectation um, based on Matthew and, and so, many, so many passages for us to exhort and rebuke um, everyone, whether you know uh, a member has asked me specifically to give them feedback on their sin, if we see it, we say something. And I think that's all the more critical here when it comes to when I think of this passage um, and us being congregational, meaning it is our responsibility to rebuke and reprove you and my dad on false doctrine if it is cropping up within you. Um, and all of that obviously starts from a knowledge of Scripture. So I, there's just this beautiful circular nature. Amen. But I also want to be clear in that I think Scripture is very clear that we do not have to ask for fellow Christians to give us um, re- rebuking. If they see it, it is an expectation that they would sure. provide and my, correction. And my and point teaching. is that if you know that I've invited you in to do that, then you're more likely to do it. You're less, you're less likely to say, oh, he's the pastor. I don't confront the pastor. And I, and I will say this, and um, I hope you never find any of the elders in needing to be rebuked for false doctrine, um, as you mentioned, but rather it's that gap area from what we teach to how we apply it in our lives. That, that is where you'll probably most likely have to, uh, and, you know, as a brother or sister in Christ, reprove and, and see, look for correction. And, and so that's a, a beautiful thing. All right, let's go on, and we'll finish with training. And then I want to get down, and I want the, the, the do, do eyes at the very bottom, the self-examination, are all powerful statements. And I want to make sure we get those on the record before um, we leave. So let's go ahead and just finish off with the reading. Training, faithfully putting God's standard into place. In the face of every teaching of Scripture, we should ask, what new thing is God calling me to put into regular practice in my thoughts, desires, words, and actions? This dichotomy I'm describing is a dangerous, God-honoring, or God-dishonoring, rather, spiritual, debilitating, idolatry-producing, moral resolve-weakening, relationship-damaging, and body-of-Christ-weakening spiritual dynamic that gives the devil a huge opportunity in our hearts and our lives. Some of us don't see the gaps in our lives. Some of us confess and repent when we see the gaps. And some of us have learned to live with the gaps for so long that they don't bother us anymore. That's shudder. That's, that's just scary, thinking about that. All right, Brendan, finish us off with the self-examination. Was it Brendan, or is it going a different direction? Sorry. Brandon could. Self-examination. Do I really need to study doctrine and its application in my life? Do I think as the doctrines of God's word have taught me to think? Do I value what these doctrines have taught me to value? Do I love what these doctrines have taught me to love? Do I accept whom these doctrines have declared me to be? Do I desire what these doctrines have taught me to desire? Do I make choices that these doctrines would direct me to make? Do I act, react, and respond in light of what these doctrines have taught me? And we can end with that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have gifted this man, this author, to put these, these challenges before us in such a, a way that is convicting of our hearts. And we pray that it's convicting to the degree that the Holy Spirit does the convicting. The Holy Spirit holds us to these standards and wants to help and guide us. He doesn't just hold us and looking to say, hey, this is what you got to do, and you got to do it on your own. But you've given us an indwelling spirit.
that guides us, that gives us the power through your divine grace to achieve these standards as we submit ourselves to you and recognize our dependence upon you, a loving dependence as a child unto a father. And we thank you that you have established this relationship. You have reconciled us back to you through the work of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.